It's episode 101 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee's Brewers podcast. I'm Ryan Top, and I'm joined as always by JP Breen. And this week, filling in for a fathering Steve Garshinsky is Paul Noonan. How's it going, Paul? It's going great. Thanks for having me, guys. And this actually works out really well. There's like a synergy thing going on here because we have an announcement to make. And so I'm just going to toss that over to you, Paul, and you could talk about this big thing that is happening. Sure. Um, so just to, to uh, get this all out in front of the podcast. So um, as you know, um, Ryan and JP and Steve do a baseball podcast. And um, baseball is a great and fantastic sport, but there are other great and fantastic sports as well. Um, and so starting this week, um, in the middle of the week, hopefully on Wednesday, if all goes according to plan, um, we will be starting a Green Bay Packer football podcast. Um, I will be hosting it with um, frequent contributor to this show, J.R. Radcliffe, who also works for the Journal Sentinel, and my co-writer at Acme Packing Company, uh, Matt Matanovich, who is Call Me Matub on Twitter, and our resident meme maker and um, general entertainment maker. Um, so... Um, we're going to have a little bit of a, a regional sports network of sorts between the, our two podcasts, and um, it should be a fun time. Yeah, and we're still working on some of the details for this, but if you are a Patreon uh, sponsor of the uh, Tailgate podcast, you will also get access to the the content for... Which I should say the name of. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is called Reporting is Eligible, um, and the... What we're really kind of looking for here is, I feel like Packer podcasts and football podcasts and radio shows sort of fall into two categories. Um, one is just like spouting cliches about what happened in the game in terms of like somebody didn't try hard enough or some nonsense like that. Um, that's fine if you like that. Good for you. Um, and one is just sort of like interviewing former Packers, interviewing people tangentially who are with the Packers. Um, and I, I just wanted to start something that was sort of along the lines of how this podcast talks about baseball at... You know, it doesn't have to get into like super detailed sabermetric all the time, whatnot, but just a little more informed and a little more explanatory of what actually happens in a game. So um, the Packers have a lot of new personnel, new coach, um, defense is turned over almost completely. And we want to be able to talk more conversantly, more, more intelligently just about why they struggle, why they're doing well, um, and, you know, the actual sort of on-field explanations for what's different and what's changed. Yeah, football yeah. analytics is kind of a little bit not where baseball analytics is, <laughs> to be kind of nice about it. It is a burgeoning area, but it is definitely still in its infancy. We're definitely still in the um, pitcher wins era of football analytics. Um, whereas, you know, when we talk about baseball, we, we're, we're past that. We, we don't care about that argument anymore. It's been won and over. But um, we, Well, some of, some of us don't care. Uh, most, <laughs> but most people don't care. But, well, so our effort to, uh, to so Paul's effort, I suppose, uh, Paul at all, uh, effort to bring a football podcast that is going to bring intelligent discussion about the Packers and the NFL more generally is exactly why I will not be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So anyway. I can I can fill in occasionally, and you can just like yell at me about stuff. You'll be, you'll... My my opinions about the Packers are generally kind of. Uh, <laughs> low grade so yeah it, the thing is like if you if you have sort of worked in written about analyzed baseball like i think we all have to some extent you probably ha have a lot of these ideas in your head about what is smart and dumb in football and even if you haven't thought about it that deeply and just watch the game and like seeing people get hit which hey i do too um that that's all fun you, you probably will ha find something to enjoy in it because um, there are definitely some things when you're watching a game that I've always, when I've watched games since I was a little kid, been like, why are they doing that? Like running up the middle into a full box on first and 10 all the time. And then teams are smart about that. They don't do that too much anymore. But, you know, we'll talk about what running, when running is good, when it isn't, when it matters. We'll talk a lot about quarterbacking. Um, talk a lot about just what makes a football, uh, what makes a football offense valuable, what makes the defense valuable, and um, how... It, the modern NFL is reacting to new information as it's presented. We'll also do goofy stuff too. So, and well, and I, I am also looking forward to when we have uh, a Minnesota United podcast for our regional network. <laughs> <laughs> you get a you get a host that one, bit. are you? <laughs> I I pretty much watch every game. So I, I they are playing right now, by the way. So I'm yeah. well in like a half an hour. So I'm taking one for the team to be talking about Brewers baseball. Uh, when I mean, the I Brewers be, are also playing right now. When I could be watching them get pounded by Portland. 
So anyway, um, continuing on to the regularly scheduled programming of the podcast. Yeah, we should um, talk about baseball, I suppose. Yeah, and, there's and, a lot to talk about this week. I was going to say, for the regularly scheduled podcast, I should note. So if uh, I would gather by this point, you're not confused, but this is episode 102. Did I miswrite that? Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm making sure that everybody like didn't hear 101. They're like, well, I listened to this shit already. You're going like, to get so many comments correcting that. It's oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, it is episode 102. Yeah. All right. So anyway, you can help fans find this podcast uh, by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcast and Spotify. We want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter. And that's at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow any of the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. You can also follow Paul at... At Badger Noonan on Twitter. Badger like Wisconsin, and Noonan is my last name. Noonan like Danny? Like Danny, like Caddyshack. That's also my brother's name, so synergy there, too. Yeah. Uh, And finally, if you would like to support this podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our M&B and Ball and Glove level patrons receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast, which is going to be recorded uh, this week. So we will uh, have that to you sometime during this week for your enjoyment. Best believe it. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for their great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. If you're looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft, the K4 Tap Room on Kidsman Boulevard in Madison is offering buy two, get one free pitchers and a pitcher race for all draft parties. Call 608-241-4812. Email Sammy at Carbon4.com, and that is spelled S-A-M-M-I. Or stop in to reserve space today. As always, you will get 20% off merch in the Carbon4 web store with the promo code MKE tailgate. And as always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon4, beer brilliance. Okay, so this was not the greatest of weeks for the brewers. Uh, safe to say that the, the summer slide has sort of continued on here. We're going to start sort of in the middle of things, even though I guess it was they'd only played one game to this point in the week when the trade deadline happened. But we need to talk about the trade deadline because I think it left a lot of people feeling empty inside. Like <laughs> they, had, they were left with a, a general sense of, you know, unpleasantness from it. So let's talk about what happened, what the Brewers did, why they did it, and try to make sense of it all because it was somewhat unexpected. Uh, on Monday, the first thing they did, so a couple days before the actual deadline, they traded for Jordan Lyles, and this was a reuniting of a guy who had been let go in the offseason, much to the consternation of some people. And I know, JP, you have opinions about that, but Jordan Lyles did pitch on Wednesday in Oakland, and he had a decent start. He went five innings, gave up a run, struck out four, walked two. It was kind of decent in general. Um, what can Jordan Lyles bring to this team, JP? Mostly a warm body that can take the ball every fifth day. Yep. Um He's somebody who's familiar to to everybody involved. He was obviously with the with the team. So Jordan Lyles obviously was fantastic uh, about the first month and a half, maybe two months of of the season, and then has been mostly a dumpster fire for the last two months. And it's a kind of a common thing that we've seen across baseball. He's just had huge home run problems. He's had a little bit of trouble throwing strikes, but. Jordan Lyles is somebody that um, still just kind of has the same issues. Uh, he's He struggles with the long ball once in a while. He he's struggles to show strikes just like we saw, but uh, still can't really do anything against lefties. Uh, he's he's quite good against righties. Lefties, he's got a massive platoon split this year once again. It's, it's a big problem when you're trying to be a starter and you just get absolutely blasted by lefties, which is why his start in Oakland was really interesting because um, Oakland's really struggled against righties for the vast majority of the year. Their, their platoon split as a team has been massive. So it was a nice kind of opening uh, start for him uh, against Oakland, a team that, you know, he should be pretty good against and he, and he was solid, Mm -hmm. but the, the most interesting thing about Lyles to me is because you know, he can be um, good against righties for a long period of time. And he has pitched out of the pen before once they do start to get guys healthy, he, conceivably could move to the bullpen and have a role that is uh beneficial down the stretch (laughs) i agree with all of that and 
Um, I, I mean, they do just need warm bodies, and that is what he is. And he's, you know, Jordan Lyles, if you look at his whole career, is not very good. But it is a, a complete brewer move of just going to get a, a guy who can eat a few innings, and then when we're healthy, we can stick another starter in the bullpen and see what happens, because that is what we do now with trade number two. And this sort of works in concert for the next one as well, but giving up Cody Ponce to get Jordan Lyles, I think Ponce was a guy who the Brewers were going to need to put on the 40-man this offseason or probably lose him in the Rule 5 draft. Is that something you guys would generally agree with? I think he kind of fits the profile of a guy teams would take a shot on in the Rule 5. Yeah, I mean, potentially. his He's definitely been better this year than the year before. Um, he was Rule, rule 5 eligible last year, but he wasn't very good. Um, coming into that, and so nobody really wanted to take a, a stab at him. But this year, the stuff's kind of played up a little bit. He still is a guy that can maybe be a middle reliever uh, up in the big leagues if his command stays solid. But he didn't really have a path to the big leagues next year. And yeah, I mean, it, they were probably going to lose him. So it, it was just something that we we kept talking about the Ryan Cordell trade for the last three weeks trying to you know, explain what the Brewers might do in terms of leveraging some minor league pieces that were going to be Rule 5 eligible, and this is just kind of, you know, par for the course. Okay, so kind of moving on to the next trade then, because there's another question here of expendability in terms of the player given up. The Brewers traded Jesus Aguilar for uh, Jacob Faria, a relief pitcher from Tampa Bay, and that's where he's going to be working in the minor leagues right now. I just saw that on Twitter a few minutes ago. So what about Jesus Aguilar's situation made him expendable here, Paul? I think it's it's interesting they did get rid of him because they do still struggle with having enough right-handed bats in some instances, but he's he's struggled. He's, you know, he's certainly not in his prime. He plays a non-prime position and by all counts, he's a great clubhouse guy. He obviously had a very good season last year, but it's just so easy to rotate people into first base. I actually think one of the things that made him expendable more than anything is Keston Hira being really good. Um, and uh, I mean, it'd be nice to have two good right-handed bats in the lineup, but it's better to have one than zero, um, which is kind of where they found themselves. So um, he's just, he's the prototypical easily replaceable player. He's a, a big power guy who is good for stretches and terrible for stretches and you know not a great athlete and plays a position where really anybody can step over there for an inning or two and play it and um, even if they're not good defenders so it, it was not an easy call because I know they like him but it was probably a call that had to be made at this point they're they're, they're just packed over at the corner I think on some level it makes sense right we've been talking about the fact that they needed to make a decision with Aguilar and moving him uh, takes a lot of boxes in terms of exactly what Paul is talking about in terms of of being able to replace it. And I know that some people have looked at Aguilar and been like, you know, he was really good recently, which, you know, is like 50 plate appearances, yep. which, I mean, we're not making decisions based on 50 plate appearances. The part that surprises me more than anything is the fact that I don't necessarily understand what the plan is with the roster that they have uh, and, <laughs> what you, and what you're going to be able to do to get all the bats in that you feel like you need to be there. And it does seem to me that part of the plan is, you know, Braun can maybe play some first base. They brought up Trent Grisham. They're going to be able to move some stuff around. But against a right-hander, I mean, what do you, what are you going to do at first base? Or do you you Shaw? Do you do Thames? Do you put Thames in right field because they did that once, and that's obviously not something that we want to totally get used to. (laughs) And so, you know, there's still going to be somebody that doesn't really have a path to playing time, and so. On one hand, I totally get it. They were able to get a controllable arm. You know, Faria is somebody that is down in the minors right now, but is somebody that has been in the big leagues. They can control. Uh, he can potentially be a reliever. He can potentially start. You know, he he's interesting enough, and I'm sure we'll talk about him in a minute. But Aguilar, for me, still can be a, a useful big leaguer for, for somebody like the Rays, and the Rays who want to be able to platoon guys, especially at first base. It, it makes some sense there. I, I will say, I, I, I did not see the the... Aguilar being gone box being checked with the no backup shortstop box. I, I thought that those would be mutually exclusive. Yeah, and they did make yeah. some other decisions. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. I thought one thing about Aguilar being released, or I'm sorry, traded away, that made some sense to me is he's looking at heading into his first year of arbitration next year. 
And they may have made the decision that he was going to be a guy they may non-tender. And if that was the case, if they were going to because of because of his all-star season in 2018, you're looking at probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a four to five million dollar player coming off the season he had this year. They may have looked at that and said, there's a decent chance we're going to non-tender him anyway. Why don't we try to get something for him right now so that we're not left just doing that and, and getting nothing at that point? Which is fine. But again, if that's the decision you were saying, maybe we're going to non-tender him in the first place, then you should have made that decision in May. Yeah, absolutely. It's a reasonable argument with Hura sitting there, though, again, I, I'm not going to hold it against them so much that they didn't want to just straight up release a guy who had had the season that he had last year because of, I, you know, 150 you, bad plate appearances. Do you think that he couldn't have possibly brought anything on the trade market in May if he was That's, was able to bring something now? Yeah, I mean, maybe he could have that. It's possible. Well, right. We're arguing in hypotheticals. Yeah. I, I, so I, if, if you're going to sell high on a on a old power hitting first baseman, like that was the time to do it. And I think that's sort of responsible roster management. Like they they have a lot of people who can play first base. They they had a crunch and it's it's been a crunch all year. Like, right. And it's and it's what I've been saying since since, you know, late April into May is that at some point you have to make a decision. And they were like, we don't want to make a decision. We don't want to make a decision. We don't want to make a decision. And then they still had to make the decision that they should have made in May anyway. And then you cost yourself two months of Keston Hura. You cut, right? Like there was things across the board. And as much as we want to talk about the fact that Aguilar is a great clubhouse guy, and that's great. Um, you know, they have also talked to some Brewers guys in the last like couple of weeks about Kesson here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't know why actually we sent him down in the first place. Yep. There've been some great quotes on that, actually. Yeah. Chase Anderson yeah. had yeah. one. Yep. Yeah. And so, so it's, anyway, it's a tough situation, but I will say I, I, I know you want to move on to the next thing, but I should say actually something about Faria in general. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think so. He's down in he's down in AAA and uh, Faria's big thing is he's got a great splitter. Uh, he doesn't really throw much else that's any good, but his splitter is is dynamic. That's and a, that, by the way, just that's a sort of a split change, right? If I'm, I was on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, which good. I think are all they're kind of synonymous at this point. Yeah, but I, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. If you go to Pitching Ninja, you can actually see some some like good close ups of it, uh, which is on Twitter. So uh, yeah, don't go to Pitching Ninja I don't know if that is a thing that exists. Uh, go to <laughs> go to Pitching Ninja Twitter uh, and search for Jacob Faria, um, but. Yeah, it's it's he's gone through some stretches where he just cannot throw strikes. Um, and the fact is, he has to be able to get to his, his splitter to be productive. Um, and if that sounds a lot like Junior Guerra, I don't uh, I don't blame you for thinking that sounds a lot like uh, Junior Guerra. So we'll see what ends up going through. But as we've seen with Guerra, he can go through stretches where he's fantastic. And I would imagine that the Brewers are hoping that they can uh, kind of clean up the command a little bit and get him to a place where he can be productive. All right. So moving on to the big deal, the very big trade <laughs> on deadline day. The Brewers was it just shortly before the the deadline, right? It, it, it was, was it was pretty close to the actual deadline. Yes. Yeah, pretty close. Um, the Brewers sent Mauricio Dubon, their number four or five prospect, depending on who you talk to, to the San Francisco Giants for Drew Pomerantz and Ray Black. And this was the one I think that got a lot of people's attention because. Uh, because Dubon has been a guy that has been looked at as potentially a future shortstop for the Brewers by some people, and there's disagreement on that. What is it about Pomerantz that made them go after him in this case, JP? Well, largely the fact that he's had success in the past, and since moving to the bullpen for San Francisco, he's looked fantastic. His velocity's jumped. His velocity was actually higher to begin with this year in the first place, but it's even jumped higher. So his fastball's been up around 94, 95 miles an hour. He is really relying on that pitch heavily. He's got a good curveball. He's basically moving down to two pitches. He can go multiple innings. And, uh, you know, he did that for like five innings. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I guess it's it's a pretty big gamble on five innings being predictive going forward. And if you look back a little bit further, he had been pitching fairly well, even as a starter before that, or at least reasonably well. You could see some progress from where he was. He was awful in May. Like, god-awful, terrible in May. And since then, he's been more of you know, kind of a, a decent starter. And then they moved him to the bullpen, and he took that sort of jump forward. Though, again, small sample. Paul? It, so, first of all, I, I, I do think everybody would be better with this trade if the Giants also did not have Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith. 
because it was it was a big huge roller coaster for a lot of people who were following it when it was just the, the it the, was it was like is it mad bum yeah no because the rumor of the trade hit first of the brewers have a deal with the giants and people were like is it Bumgarner? and it's like i, I think either like, is it smith it, it was yeah first it was it's not Bumgarner. it's like well it must be will smith <laughs> like, and then it was, then it was well like, if it's not will smith oh it must be sam dyson <laughs> no sam dyson's going to the twins so <laughs> and he's so now then, on the deal then it by was the way. Drew pomerantz and then everybody was like oh but um i it is it is a gamble it it, it almost strikes me as just like a little too cute like I assume they're going to use him in the bullpen. You can just go get a bullpen guy instead of a guy who's pitched there for five innings, who's okay. I, it, I, in one hand, yeah, because you have versatility. He has been dynamite there for a small sample size. Their scouting, I'm sure, is much better than mine on the subject. So it's fine. Um, he, if he pitches like he has been recently, that's a great pickup. Then he will bolster the bullpen and be good. It, but it, it's such a weird, typical Brewer move. Also, I'm not a big Dubon guy. I'm okay with that. Um I, I think he's a utility guy going forward. He, like I don't think his hit tool is all that great. He's older than RCA, I think. Um, if memory yeah, serves. like a, a week or two. Yeah. <laughs> well, still, it's, it's not like he's like not that RCA is old in the first place, but it's not like he's some you know kid who's gonna he's waiting in the wings for him. He's not. Um, he is a guy, as JP would say, who we haven't seen fail yet. So exactly, he, he has all of that glitter around him at the moment so like parting with him i'm fine with it, it goes with my my strategy of when your farm system is bad um you should just trade guys willy-nilly because your farm system is already bad it's not like you're giving up like you know top 100 prospects anymore you're giving up what are already fringe guys empty that's empty it out get it empty you're contending give give the whole thing away <laughs> um but uh i'm it, it's a fine trade it seems Perfectly fine. They need bullpen help. I'm good with it. What about Ray Black, JP? Because this guy, this is where it gets interesting for me. The Pomerantz thing, whatever. He's he's going to be a free agent after this year, whatever. Ray Black is legitimately interesting. I don't know if he's good, but he's legitimately interesting. (laughs) You would love Ray Black. Well, I mean, you hear that it's 100 miles an hour and you go, okay, well, you've got my attention. He's 29. I totally understand. Which doesn't allow you to like get to a point where you're like, maybe there are some issues too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that does seem like a fair uh, guess. So, what are those well, issues? So, uh, command and and health, uh, and a secondary pitch. So, you know, his fastball is great. His fastball is really good, uh, but you know, it's a hope and a prayer in terms of even making sure that he can get through an entire season healthy. It's going back to to Pomerantz for for a second because he's a guy who again has a big platoon split. He's somebody that yeah he was productive enough, but what are his issues? Uh, he's got a, a massive home run rate. He's really not great against righties. They've got almost a they've got about a five fifty slugging percentage against him this year, and but he's been pretty good first time through the order in terms of his strikeout rate. Even as a starter, he was he was decent. Um, he he wasn't great at preventing runs, but he was decent in terms of his peripherals being solid first time through the order. Yeah. So he, it, it is interesting. Uh, I, I disagree. Uh, I disagree with Paul in terms of, I think um, I, I don't think this move actually moves the needle all that much in terms of contention. And I think Dubon was a, a, a quite useful piece to have around for, for an extended period of time. I mean, I kind of share the the sentiment that I thought his most likely role was going to be a utility infielder, and those guys. Great, great. but having a better having version a, of Aaron Perez is actually quite useful for six is. years. A good, a good, useful cheap Hernan Perez is worth having if he is actually like better than Hernan Perez. Well, he, oh my, what's the bar we, on that? <laughs> a month ago, about how you thought that he had a legitimate path to even potentially being a starter, and now because we traded him, you're going to start talking about how he might be kind of cracked. I, I talked about how he had a legitimate path to being a starter. You were like, well, he could potentially be, you know, a starter at at shortstop, like uh, uh, like high end projection. Not saying that you thought he was actually going to be a starter, but that he had. I mean, the there's tool. there's yeah, there's a small chance of that, but I don't think that's the most likely outcome. I've been okay so, with getting rid of Dubon for a long time. R- I'm not sure I agree with that, but okay. uh, but it, regardless, I think Dubon is a dude like Dubon is a guy who can play shortstop, second base, uh, third base, center field. He's a guy that uh, has a, a better hit tool than I think that maybe we're giving him credit for. I think the fact that he lost last year with the torn ACL has basically torn a lot of the value because prior to last year, there were some scouts that actually liked him quite a bit as a potential uh 
second division starter in the majors. And then he started out out well, ended up getting hurt. And then this year, everything he's done in AAA has been basically like, well, it's the baseball. Um, and so it's, it's a tough situation in terms of looking at what, uh, squaring what scouts were saying about him in 2017. And then recognizing that last year was a completely lost year in terms of his production because of the injury. And then this year is everything he's been able to do in AAA. You know, there's huge question marks about it because we don't know what is legitimate because who knows what's happening at AAA at this point? Like, I don't know. Um, but if if he were somebody that could hit a 275 play above average defense at three different positions and have a 320 on base percentage and run a little bit, that's useful to have across the board. I mean, that's a solid one and a half win player. That's better than Ben Gamble. Okay, fair enough. Um, we have a question here from Darren Jones, uh, one of our Patreon supporters, and he asks, which of the Brewers trade deadline acquisitions do you consider the most significant in terms of potential impact in 2019? Uh, the Pomerantz deal. Yeah, probably the Pomerantz deal. Does Lyles count? It doesn't matter. It's the Pomerantz deal. Because he could actually yeah. be a high-end reliever, and Pomerantz is just a body that may get shelled or may not. So. Yeah, Lyles, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, probably the Pomerantz deal makes the most sense. And you know what also makes the most sense? Because Dubon is the most important piece that they gave That's up. That's true, of, too. Of the things they gave up. So you would hope that you got back the most for that. And even if Ray Black's just completely a, a wild card shot in the dark, you know, there's something there too so well and the fact that they ended up getting ray black in that deal was a pretty big signal that they weren't 100 percent comfortable with giving up duvon for dubon for pomeranz in the first place yeah so we had another question from bill wesley and he asks with the three new bullpen pitchers will they stop using gara and jeffress in so many high leverage situations (laughs) it's a good question i mean i would say that first of all uh with lyles being in the starting rotation and faria being in triple a in, in the short term, probably not. Uh, I think that uh, Pomeranz, it'll be interesting to see how they use him. I imagine he'll be a high leverage guy as quickly I as they can get I would think so. There. It, uh, it's yeah. a huge need on the team. So, um, But but I, I, it, it'll be interesting. It, it, they kind of have made it sound like they want to get free up as quickly as possible. I don't, I don't necessarily know what that looks like, though. Okay. So something to keep an eye on going forward. Uh, other things that happened at this trade deadline, you had the release of... Uh, Jacob Barnes, uh, Marcus Diplon, and um, Donnie Hart. Donnie Hart. Donnie Hart. There we go. And Donnie <laughs> Hart. Thank you, JP. Uh, so any of that like ring any bells for you? I mean, I'm definitely getting the FOMO for one of these guys, and you know who that is, but would have liked to have seen them been able to hold on to Jacob Barnes because I still think there's something there. So I Okay. Um, but I don't think it's a huge deal. Um it's it the lack of the waiver trade deadlines annoying by the way i miss it um but uh, i mean they're they're playing those guys are all bottom of the roster guys and they just freely rotate through and i don't jacob barnes has had a lot of chances now i i i mean yeah there's stuff there you can hang on to him but like i, I find so many other people as compelling or more compelling and donnie hart's bad um by the way just to throw that in there he's, <laughs> he's not good it's 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 crazy that it took this long. Good for Donnie. Um, but uh, I, I'm not sad to see Barnes go. In fact, I think half of the reason that I didn't mind having him on the team before was that he made me think of Corbin Burns when I still thought that he was actually better than he is. And now that that association is damaged because Corbin Burns isn't good either, I'm kind of like, what was I thinking there whenever Jacob Barnes would come in? I was just reacting poorly to it based on psychology. He's bad. It's fine. I, I don't see much difference uh, functionally between Barnes and Black. So I, I'm not overly that con- yeah. I'm not that concerned about it. Um, Marcus Diplon, you know, I hope you find success with with the twins. I'm surprised they wanted to put him on the 40 man roster. I imagine they want to have him on the 40 man roster and then try to slide him through thinking nobody else is going to claim him. But um, he's he struggles to throw strikes. Uh, he's an interesting arm still. But if he can't command the baseball, he's going to have trouble. And then Donnie Hart had like this really fascinating part where I was hoping he was going to be able to keep a zero ERA without striking anyone out. That was going to be my favorite. Um, and then as soon as I like pointed out that he'd done that for like three straight outings, he like, and I don't remember. I don't remember if he gave up a run or if he struck someone out, but he like, <laughs> whatever he did was bad without, yeah, without looking at it. I, I, I know where I'd put my bets. So yeah. then the other thing that happened was the Brewers presumably got a lot of calls about Trent Grisham and probably said no to him in a bunch of trades for a potential starter. And then, Immediately after the trade deadline passed, they decided, hey, let's call up Trent Grisham. So they brought him in, and 
is it fair to say that they shoehorned him into the roster even though he didn't have like a real elegant fit? Yes. Like it, it didn't really, <laughs> like I don't know where the playing time's going to come from, but what what are your initial thoughts JPN Trent Christian being called up? Uh, I mean, mostly that. I'm not really sure where he's going to play. It, so uh, it, which is great for him to be on the big league roster. For, okay, that, did anybody see this coming in advance of it actually happening? Even even in the remote recesses of their brain? Like people kind of joked about uh, it. I I put Grisham on my top twenty-five for the stash list for baseball prospectus a week before he just got called up. All right, follow JP's column there because <laughs> you could have had him on your fantasy team if you'd had that if you'd been reading it in advance. Okay, well, good. Okay, why did you think that? <laughs> because I think the biggest thing that I've seen this year. So this is the first time I've done the stash list for the for baseball prospectus. Um, and and the biggest thing is trying to deal with guys who are absolutely obliterating the ball in AAA is uh this year whether it's it's carter keyboom or or whomever like they get called up uh and then they end up like not really getting played and then they get called back down um and so it's a really weird spot but like i and so i wrote about this um briefly uh, on bp when he got called up as i was like his his opportunity to uh stake a claim at a legitimate place on the roster over the next two months is very very short because in order to get regular playing time, he's going to have to absolutely hit the snot out of the ball early, but he's not going to get very much in terms of a chance to play because there's no place for him to play. I mean, in the the four games since he was called up, they have faced two lefties and two righties. He's started against both righties. So, right. Ryan Braun's not going to play against righties then. Sure. Yeah, fine. But, or Trent is going to see some time in center field, which he did in his first start as well. I don't necessarily want to see or Lorenzo Cain on the on the bench either. But like if he's a guy who plays, you know, two or three times every week, that's still not exactly a, a great opportunity to show you can be an everyday guy. No, it's not a, a long leash at all. I, I think it's it's a weird thing to see. So it's obviously a different circumstance late in the season with a different level of prospect. But it's it's a it's a weird turnaround from early season here uh like keeping him down for whatever control purposes and super two purposes and just waiting, 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 waiting and having excuses like, well, we have all these, we have Moustakas and we have Sean, we have all these people who play middle and field. And then you get to now and yeah, he's playing well, but there's not a natural spot for him. Like it, 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 quite the opposite. And all of a sudden he's up on the team on somewhat small sample size success. And it's just very strange um, that that actually happened. Um, for me, it's it's just basically I read this as um, they're they're struggling offensively and they were just gonna they they saw a really really hot bat and they're like we're gonna put everybody on the roster that we can that we think is a hot bat and hopefully it works. Yeah, and so far the results have been mixed. He's had some good plate appearances. He did get his first major league hit so and in his first plate appearance on Sunday. So he, he's doing some stuff, but we. For him to like take a hold of the position and for him to like stake a claim to a roster spot at this point and regular playing time, he's gonna have to hit for power, which that is exactly what he was doing in double A AA and triple A yep. all this year. He was absolutely knocking the snot out of the ball. So he is capable of it. But, but the question is how quickly it comes to the big league level. Two quick things. Number one, even if he does hit the snot out of the ball, basically that means Ryan Braun is playing first base. Um yeah. because there I don't think Ryan Braun's gonna be a bench player. Um the other thing too is like uh i've i've heard like there are uh, there have been some scouts basically that have been like yeah he's actually much better this year and he has made some structural changes um to what he's doing and so there are a lot of people that are like yeah i absolutely believe in what he's able to do uh which is great because you know over the last couple of months uh you know ryan's been like we're waiting to hear about swing changes um and you know his approach at the the plate is a little bit different some people have been saying you know is he was he overly passive like what what's happening uh, in terms of his strikeout rate like normally you'd like to see a guy get more aggressive but then if he is more aggressive you tend to see more strikeouts but that's not happening so what is the the change um seems to be some things with with his setup being more aggressive in the zone uh the ability to kind of uh try to hit for some power the pull side done a little bit different so uh good news in that regard i'm just not i don't know what the path is uh unless ryan braun is basically just not because if you want him to play, it's going to be against righties, which then Ryan Braun's probably not going to play first base because that's where you're going to have Shaw or Thames. Otherwise, I don't know what they're doing on the roster. Uh, so 
I don't I don't know what the path to playing time is, and I don't understand calling him up if you're not going to play him. So unless they are not believing in Braun or he's like dealing with an injury, I don't really get it. Yeah, I, I just wonder if it's split time with Braun and Kane and just giving each one a day off more than they were used to. And yeah, I mean, that, that might be it as well. I, they're probably frustrated with Kane's offensive performance too. I mean, he's obviously still a fantastic defensive player, but this is getting a little old against against the righties. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that could be too, which then is just basically like, it does feel a little bit like throwing, you know, throwing a bunch of boss against the wall to see what sticks yep. uh, over the last month because you're like, we need to take a run at it. Well, there is a time for that. And I think now is kind of the time where you do that and just say, well, let's give it a shot and see. We don't have a whole lot to lose. So, you know, at, at worst, you're spending some at bats on a guy who has a good profile and you're trying to see what is there. I mean, that's not a, a waste of time. It's worth I mean, it. I guess. But you're then sacrificing like veteran guys who have been productive over a long period of time that have been struggling for three months and like assuming that that is somehow like more real than waiting for a guy to just like randomly come up from triple A and start hitting. Yeah, I mean, they may also be at the point with Ryan Braun where they're like, we just don't see him playing all that much. He's kind well, of a part time, a very much yeah. a part time player. And we want him to start against all lefties. And if he has to sit most of the time against righties. We're okay with that as long as he gets in, a, you know, a few times, you know. Yeah, I mean, that could be it. Uh, that's, yeah, that might that, be it. That'd be a big call for them to make at this point. Which, well, it, it's sort of the natural evolution of things, right? Yeah, Travis I'm, Shaw just got a Tra- base. Travis hit Shaw got a hit. We should we should pause to mention Travis Shaw did something um, positive offensively right now. And actually, you know what? I, I have a question about that. What's the plan with Shaw going forward? <laughs> uh, is the goal to maybe look for a third baseman and play Shaw at first base? Uh, Thames could be back, but it's a seven million dollar uh, option to keep him for for uh, for twenty twenty. Jay Google asked that, by the way. I mean, my uh, my very intelligent answer is I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they still think Travis Shaw is a part of this team going forward, don't they? Because they didn't think, they don't call I, him back up when they did if they didn't think that. I think uh, they believe in him a part of the future as much as they really believed in Jesus Aguilar being a part of the future. Oh, really? You think it's that touch and go? They sent they sent him down instead of call, instead of releasing Aguilar. But then they did release Aguilar. So you're saying that you think right. Shaw is a guy who could potentially be released? No, I'm saying that they also believed in Aguilar for a time, but still made the decision that they needed to move on. I'm saying that this offseason, they could still make the decision that they're going to have to part ways with Shaw, even though they still think that he could be a, a useful spot in the uh, a useful guy in the, ro- yeah, the rotation. Part, pardon my ignorance, but isn't Shaw cheap for a couple more years, too? Uh, Shaw has he's in his second year of arbitration coming up. Uh, he's so in his first year of arbitration. So, this so year. cheapish. OK, right. And, uh, you know, there's there's going to be real money having to be spent in well, arbitration. I, I think so. your answer is that they're getting as much information as they can on him post struggle this year to figure out if he is worth, you know, keeping around for those those last few years where he can still be on the team at that level. Um but like I, I kind of agree, like I don't think that Travis Shaw is um anything outstanding. Um especially since that injury. He really seems to have impacted him for real. And um he lo- he looks bad. So I, I I kind of agree that he, like they want to see what he can do. They want to see where he can play. It, it, they need a third baseman because um, Moustakis is gone at the end of this year, and I'm sure they would like it for him to be him if he can turn it around. But um, I don't think he's a plan for the future. I think he is a potential plan for the future. And if they need to flip to somebody else, you can find somebody who's as good or better than this version of Travis Shaw pretty easily. Right. This version of Travis Shaw is easy to replace. Well, the that, version from the last two years. They have, but they have this version of Travis Shaw. This is confirmation or not confirmation that that's what they're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, so I think he, it, I agree with Paul. He is, he is the solution at third base unless a better one comes along. Yep. And uh, the other thing, too, is I think that there is a really good argument, even if he struggles over the next two years, that doesn't really mean he's going to be this guy next year either. But there's not going to really be a way that you can make that call over. I mean, we've seen countless guys have an offseason who have dealt with an injury helped dealt with a slump a guy who has shown that he can be a big leaguer over an extended period of time in the big leagues take an offseason come back rejuvenated and just like start over um and 
and it's been pretty clear that Shaw's been dealing with kind of it's been a mental game. Like he's frustrated. He's frustrated. He's struggling. He doesn't necessarily know why. Uh, unfortunately, AAA is not, you know, a huge help because you go down and just, you know, hit 300 with a 1000 OPS. And then you're like, well, it's fixed. And you're like, well, I was just kind of AAA. Um, real, real quick. Sorry to interrupt. A quick shout out to Trent Grisham uh, for not sliding into first base just now um, because it, I bet it was really tempting to do so uh, on a hot shot back to the first baseman that trickled by him. And uh, running through the base, I think, got him safe on this play. So uh, we, we should also give Trent Grisham a shout out for having a linebacker neck. <laughs> also <laughs> that he is a uh, he is thick up there. Yes, he is. A, he is a he's a big old boy. All right. So um, we need to talk a little bit about some things that happened this last week. We've kind of gone out of order here, but it's fine. We had a series in Oakland that was incredibly frustrating because the Brewers were in every game. In fact, they had late, they had late leads in all of these games. And they ended up blowing two out of three of them. Uh, Josh Hader was the losing pitcher in two of them. And Josh Hader was used for the first time in his big league career three days in a row. I know you both have opinions about this, and I do too. So, Paul, go ahead. Okay. Uh, my opinion is to don't do that. Um, he's, <laughs> he's outstanding when you don't do that. Um, I think it, it's not a great idea to use him in back-to-back games. It obviously depends on how hard he works. I know he can go back-to-back games. Three is probably pressing it, especially given how much he seems to benefit from having off days to recover. Um, even if one of those days is light work-wise or low effort work-wise, it just seems like not a great idea. Now, right, and that first appearance was relatively low. I think he threw eight pitches because sure. he gave up the home run to lose the game. So There's obviously like context there. Like, yes, if you have a light, you'll be more available if you don't throw as many pitches with, with as much effort as you would be if you throw 30 pitches with high effort. So I kind of get why you do that. But... It, you know, there's a whole, there's some some sunk costs every time you get up to pitch. There's warm-ups, there's, um, you know, you're still throwing, and he's not used to working that many days in a row. I know the Brewer bullpen, aside from Hader, has struggled a lot. I, there's obviously pressure to get the most out of him no matter what, and the Brewers probably know more about this than I do, but I've never liked using anybody three days in a row. Like, at any point in time, even like established closers, I will confess, I have not looked into this as deep as I'm about to opine on right now, but when John Axford used to be the closer and when K-Rod used to be the closer, um, my, my anecdotal looking at their three and four in a row appearances was always that it was bad. So I'm always against it, even if some guys may be able to do it. JP? Well, I think... My biggest, my biggest thing about Josh Hader is I don't think there's a way that anybody can use him that people will be happy with. Um, and I think... My biggest concern about Josh Hader is that he's been so good and that um, we've talked about how good he's been, that basically the standard is uh, he doesn't give up any runs and strikes out two people in inning. And if he doesn't do that, then uh, it's a deviation from the norm and we need to somehow explain it. And um, and and it's a it's a tough situation to try to figure out. what you can do over over an extended period of time because i mean if he has uh zero days of rest over his career he has a a 180 batting average and an uh, and an ops against him of 570 one day of rest ops is uh, a 587 for his career two days of rest it's 552 um his days of rest in terms of his era is about three it's a 3.1 uh with one day of rest it's uh 2.9 with two two days of rest, it's uh, two point one. With three days of rest over his career, it's been two point eight. Um, it it doesn't seem it's he's a guy that varies in his velocity. He varies in his his uh, ability to command the baseball, just even with having rest. And we've seen that a long time. I mean, he was a guy who would be a starting pitcher and have five days of rest, and then when he was in Colorado Springs, he was throwing in the upper eighties once in a while. Um, he just is a kind of guy that doesn't always uh repeat his mechanics all that well and um and so for me like i i it's it's hard because um anybody else if he were to give up runs in like two out of three games like that just is something that happens but like if it's hater we need to somehow understand structurally how somebody allowed that to happen okay i'm going back to your point before you said that 
there isn't going to be a way that hater is going to be used that's going to make everybody happy. And I think that's definitely true. There have been so many people that complain and think that the way Craig Council uses Josh Hader, even last year when it was so effective, people were up in arms about it because it wasn't conventional. It was so weird and so outside of the norm of what they understand the way you use a good reliever. Your good reliever goes in the ninth inning. That's where they go. And the fact that they were using him in all these other ways made a lot of people insane. And I just keep going back to what I want is for them to use him in the way that they think is the most beneficial that will make him the best weapon he can be. And they have said, well, hold on. They've said in the past though, that their thought process was that he wasn't as good back to back days. And that's why they had avoided using him that third day in a row. This whole time was they didn't think he was as effective. So every time they do it, they're like, well, it's probably bad, but we're going to do it anyway. Well, I mean, there are certain realities that you have to try to get through. And I think Craig Council sort of number one thing, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but his number one rule is like win the game in front of you. And using Hater a third day in a row on, on Thursday seemed to be following that rule of win the game in front of you, do that, and then worry about what happens after that. I feel like it's usually think, win the game in front of you, but either do or do not have Hater available for this game. Like, yeah, I was going to say, we've seen so much evidence that they're not willing to use him on on. Yeah. on well, they have held him out specifically in games before, but I'm just talking about like the way he manages the bullpen in general, not just Hater, but like they he pushes to win the game that they have in front of them and will empty the bullpen to do it in a game, and then they'll figure out whatever else needs to happen after that the next day. They'll call people up. They'll do whatever they need to do to, to make that happen. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, I guess I just feel like you, you offered a lot of contradictory evidence in like, <laughs> yeah, and so like I, I here, uh, to make me happy using Hater, I just want them to use him as a fireman like they often do when things get dire, and then leave him in as long as he's comfortable going for that time, and then rest him the next day, and then go from there. And you know, whatever if they decide he can go two days in a row because he didn't work that hard, all right, fine. But I think there should be a good amount of evidence based based on all we know of their scouting, where he's not as good doing that. Th- if they have evidence that he can do it on a given day, whatever. If he comes to them just like begging, like I, I did barely pitch yesterday and go again, fine. But this is this was a weird deviation. It, it was a strange, unusual deviation. And yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, it could have worked. Sure, fine. But the, the fact that it was out of the norm for them and it blew up in their faces, you know, that made me not happy. I would like them to go back to the way they used him before last season that worked almost all of the time. When watching him pitch in that game, too, you could see that the ball, when he is on and when it is working, that fastball is high and riding up at the top of the zone, at the top or above the top of the zone. And where it was in that game, he was uh, down and inside. To that Chapman. home run that he gave up, yeah, it was so down and in. It was, it was a, It's a weird place to miss, like... <laughs> Uh, maybe I, I feel like usually when you miss you miss up and you know that's good if hater misses up it's a ball and it doesn't get out of the park but it, it was it was a weird bit of just how he was working in general yeah it, it didn't quite seem to fit and chapman was on such a cold streak like an absolutely well, nice cold I guess, streak and he's then, awesome so yeah he is he is a good <laughs> player uh we saw, hater, we saw hater give up two home runs to the marlins last year and the marlins were on a collective cold streak for yeah. 162 games last year it's true and when hater has problems it's because he gives up home runs like that's it's part of the deal even in oakland right. even like, in yeah, like well, nobody's surprised he gave up home runs right i mean it's right like I was gonna, I was gonna say, like if if you want to point to an issue, is like maybe he needs to actually be able to throw a slider for strikes. Yeah, th- I agree with that. Like I'm sick of the all fastball and that slider. Like I feel like guys are now really good at picking it up. Um, aside from the fact that it's not often in the zone, like it's not getting enough swings, and when it misses, it's getting crushed. All right, uh, one other thing. So the Brewers have lost the first two at Wrigley. I guess we're kind of burying the lead it's here. Not, it's not looking good for and three And it's not here. looking great in three, though. I mean, they're only down two runs in the fifth inning, but the way things have gone, we'll see. Uh, so over the last six games coming into Sunday, the Brewers had averaged 2.7 runs per game and have really struggled. What do you make of the offense at this point? Because it has been, I mean, part of it's Oakland. They were in Oakland for three games, and those are not. It's not an easy place to hit, and that will suppress offense. And the wind, to be fair, I believe all three games is blown in at Wrigley. So you're not getting the jet stream out, so guys so can't just loft the ball out. I think you're answering the question right now, just so you know. 
Oh, am I? Okay. Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> so Did I just answer the question? I, I actually, the, the one part of the Brewers that I don't panic about and stay pretty calm about is their offense. Um, I, it, it's, it's a little weird, but I, it, it will go through stretches like this, especially, especially against left-handed pitching, but it's fine. Like, Yelich is not going to go into the tank all of a sudden. He's excellent. Like, even if you don't get all-star Moustakis for a little bit, like, he's, oh, that's not good. Schwarber just hit a bomb, but whatever. Um, Like, there's enough good hitters on the Brewers that they're going to score a decent amount of runs. And they'll wax and wane with weird parks and with platoon splits. But I don't think there's too much to fix there. And I think, like, actually having here on the roster is taking care of, not completely fixed a weakness, but made them a lot stronger than they were. Um, So... I think the offense is fine. I'm not worried about it. I think pitching is a much bigger issue. Like, yeah, if they added a bat, that'd be great. But they're a good offensive team. JP? Yeah, I'm I'm not worried about their offense, which... Uh, it, it's frustrating because uh, so much of offense... I mean, uh, so much of pitching is... is, is Based on batted ball luck and invariance over small small samples, and it, it's hard to think about those sorts of things. But if you look at Baseball Prospectus, you look at DRC Plus; they're tied for fourth in terms of team team DRC Plus yep. in the NL. Like they're a they, perfectly fine offense that happens to go to sleep every now and then, like all offenses do. Right, and and if you want to look at the biggest reason that they kind of seem to struggle over over an extended period of time is their batting average on balls and plays low this year and, and they strike out a bunch like i'm not going to pretend like they don't strike out a bunch but uh a news flash about like teams that strike out a lot this year has been they also hit a lot of home runs and also were some of the best offenses in baseball so um like those things happen not everybody can be you know the the twins and, <laughs> and it's it's also like the fact if you can be the fourth best team in terms of uh DRC plus deserved runs created Um, a no, that doesn't mean that they didn't struggle in the past. It just tries to kind of go towards what they might do in the future. Um, But like if you're able to do that and two or three of the main guys that you were relying on to be offensive forces have just uh, either a played their way off the team via trade or like got sent down to triple a in their late twenties. Like that means you've got some other guys on the team that are doing some pretty good things. Yeah, it seems fair to me. I'm not real concerned about the offense at all either. I think we were going back and forth a few weeks ago, Paul, looking at uh, cluster luck. Yeah. And the Brewers have some pretty bad cluster luck on the season in general. And it's not doesn't seem to be something that you can really control. By the way, cluster luck is just how you sequence your hits and your walks and everything together isn't necessarily something you control. So just to add some context to this, so if anybody wants to know about cluster luck, um, Joe Pita, who's a Wall Street trader, wrote a book called Trading Bases, where he tries to bet around cluster luck and does okay. Um, it's a, it's an interesting read. But besides that, I, I came across it because I was looking just at Brewer win-loss and run scored, and they had a weird streak about a month ago where they I, I just broke it into buckets, just randomly, not statistically accurate, um, of... Four, scoring four plus runs or four minus runs. And in those games, they just had this terrible run of luck where if they scored more than four, they gave up more than four. And if they scored four or less, they gave up four or less. So they got good pitching performances when they got good pitching performances against them and vice versa. So I was like, well, that's just bad luck. And um, I'll go look at the actual stats on it. And their cluster luck was awful for that set. Um, so I, they've, I mean, I'm not going to say that they've been a super unlucky team. Their Pythagoreans, not bad at all. But there's some evidence that they just have gotten unlucky in a certain number of ways, especially on offense. And, you know, is what it is. It'll probably turn around. That happens to every team eventually. Well, so two two things. Number one, cluster luck is super close to clusterfuck, which makes me laugh every time. It does. And, I mean, I think uh, that's why it was picked, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, which is is excellent. Um, but, like, the other team, the other thing that really gets, gets me is... Um, so many the entire conversation around the brewers i even on this podcast but um you know this particular one or even like the last couple of months it's been like what is going wrong what is going wrong yeah. why aren't brewers doing whatever like they're an 85 86 win team like coming into the year is what we were pegging them at and they're kind of on pace to do that it's it's they they're in a very difficult uh division a lot of things had to go right um, the pitching we knew was the problem. 
and I yeah, there were some things that we didn't yeah. foresee. Don't get me wrong. Um, there are also some good things that we didn't foresee that ended up like uh, doing quite well. Um, but this is this is a team that was probably stru- you know this was structurally not the best team in the NL Central coming in. I didn't pick that, and we're in uh, kind of a tough spot. Okay, so I have a perfect question for this. And this is again from Jay Google, and he asked, is the construction of this team the reason for the struggles? Did Stearns go a different path than what was successful last year? Is the strength of this uh, the strength of the team last year was the pen, and now looking at it, it's been a problem all year. Is this a construction of the roster can, problem? Can I go first? Yeah, go ahead. It, no, it's not. It, it is, uh, first of all, let's define what the struggles are, which is, like, I think we all agree, just because we just talked about it in DRC+, the offense is, is fine as constructed. Um, their biggest problems this year are Corey Kniebel is not currently on the team, and uh, Jeremy Jeffress has suffered, uh, like, labored through with shoulder weirdness all season and can't be trusted in high leverage. And last year, they had Hader to get them out of bad jams, and then, uh, you know, Kniebel late. I know he was hurt early, too, but they had him late to button things down, and they had Jeffress all year nailing things down. And Corbin Burns was a really good reliever for them in the second yeah. half of the season last yes. year. And they attempted to bring all of those people back and have them pitch well, and due to injuries and bad luck, they didn't. So well, uh, if you want to say construction was bad, all right, but sometimes injuries get to you and you don't have an infinite well of of resources to go to. And frankly, they've done a really good job of getting the most out of some really spotty bullpen candidates and some you know kind of fringe guys like it, they've done actually a pretty good job given the hand they've been dealt well and, and, and part of um uh, i'm sorry for saying like as i said previously but like my opinion hasn't really changed on this so i'm just going to reference back to it is coming into the season i was saying that a lot of the optimism coming into this year, a lot of the the justification for why people thought they might have a good uh, starting rotation or the bullpen, it was it was surrounded by depth. It was this idea that the strategy of depth was going to make up for the fact that you had a lot of guys that might not be good. And uh, last year, a lot of those guys ended up being very good all at the same time. And this year, a lot of them have been bad all at the same time. And uh, they've struggled with injuries. But as I like, I. I at one point was saying that basically in order to say that they're a 90 win team, you have to say that that depth as a strategy is better than having uh, like identifiably good players across the board that belief in the brewers belief in the brewers roster construction was a belief in a strategy. And it was a strategy of depth and moving guys back and forth between triple a over a long period of time. And that people had to understand that that is uh, that that variance is not everything doesn't just cancel out when you have a bunch of high variance guys. It's not that some are going to be good, some are going to be bad, and they're all just going to cancel out. And eventually, you'll figure out the guys that are going to be good. Sometimes those things cluster, and sometimes you're going to be in trouble. Um, and a lot of these guys who have been bad this year could very well be really good next year. And it's just every if you go down the board, aside from maybe Travis Shaw, if you go down the board of everybody who's done well unexpectedly or struggled unexpectedly we could say we could identify paths for every single one of these guys being what they what they are this year yeah i mean outside of maybe aguilar too but I had, no no i, 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 I disagree I, with that because yeah. i i know at least one prominent person on twitter who has always been sort of a aguilar's maybe just a guy supporter for like and has been made fun of for it and is probably not cheering, but told you sewing a little bit after that happened. Okay, that's well, fair. And, but it was also the entire conversation that you kept telling me that if you looked by his month by month splits, he was good last year. And I was saying you were really you were really relying on a good first half, and the second half he wasn't that good last year. Yeah, second half he was fine. He just wasn't great. Really, is what it amounts to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Uh, okay. The thing is... Oh, real quick. Yeah. The, the, the big thing with Aguiar, always keep in mind, is before last year, his top baseball prospectus comp was Brian LaHare, former All-Star Chicago Cub first baseman who was out of baseball shortly after he made the All-Star game. And it's looking more prescient all the time. Well, I think the biggest thing about this year versus last year is that things don't always go your way in baseball, and you have this run of, of you know, sort of things kind of go your way in 2018 and actually had also in 2017, 
and you kind of get it cutting back the other direction in 2019. And it it's part of the deal with baseball. You can't always count on the positive things staying positive, that there's going to be this variance and back and forth in players. And you can't necessarily plan around those variances because you have to find somebody who's definitely a better an upgrade to the person to want to go ahead and, and make that upgrade, right? Like you have to find somebody that you think, well, this is definitely a like they did with uh, with Yasmani Grandal. They said, okay, this is clearly an upgrade we can make. Yeah. We're going to make it. But you can't do that in every spot. You can't do that with Jeremy Jeffress and say, well, we think he might not be as good as he was last year. So we're going to bring in, you know, uh, some guy who's going to cost $40 million to be, you know, hopefully as good as he was last year. You can't do that in every spot on the roster because you only have so much money and you only have so many roster spots. So there are two two things um, to me that that need to be expressed here uh, because number one is the very, very nature of this high variance we're talking about means for the next two months starting, you know, if you want to say they're going to lose on Sunday, that's fine. But starting tomorrow, they might be very good for the next two months. Mm-hmm. We saw that last year. Like the very nature of high variance players over a course of and and relying on those things to come together means you have a pretty high ceiling and you have a pretty low floor and you're often right in the middle. But if you catch it at the right time, you can really go nuts. And so this team has that capability. This is not writing off the team for the final two months. It's just trying to say that like this capacity was always there. Um, and the other thing too is what you're talking about in terms of saying that these high variance guys and 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 going out and getting somebody and spending money on somebody who is definitely better than what you already have and what he, you know, in this high variance guy who could be good and doesn't cost anything is exactly why free agency, nobody is spending any money. That is true. Yeah. And it is kind of a thing that all of the GMs want to stay away from spending money on anything where they don't feel really confident in it, well, especially like, long term money. I don't know if it's so much that it's just that, that there is, very rarely any assurance that the guy you have will be worse than the guy you get. Everybody's, Absolutely. Everybody's pretty close except for a very select few players out there. Which is why which is why roster construction is about ROI. It's not about wins. Yep. Which I don't know if there's a better way to really manage it than that. That it's people are kind of stuck. So anyway, that's gonna do it for this week. Uh JP, we did get a new uh Patreon uh patron this week. You want to tell us about that? I, I don't know much about Jeremy Reese other than the fact that he's awesome <laughs> for, for allowing us to help make this possible, uh, for allowing us to be able to get equipment, which, you know what, like as much crap as I gave Steve for however long about like the sound quality of the podcast and all this stuff, and he was like, your levels are bad, and like your, your microphone's not as good, and we need this <laughs> Right. Like uh, listening to other podcasts now that don't have the same equipment that we have. And I'm just like, God, that doesn't sound as good. Mm-hmm. And so people like Jeremy give us the ability to make sure that like we've got equipment that makes Steve's ha- Steve happy, which is great, because then like when we actually listen to it, we sound all right. So a huge when we say like you're actually like patrons, uh, patrons, uh, patrons make this possible for us to be able to do this, these sorts of things like, uh, it, you know, we don't like just put money in our pockets each week like we actually uh make sure that we have the right equipment that we are able to do things on on uh you know we actually were just able to to give some money back to the community in a in a community function which was great um so we're trying to do the best that we can going forward to make sure that the podcast can be what you want it to be all right and you can join our patreon by visiting uh patreon.com slash mke tailgate Patrons at the M&B and Ball and Glove levels will receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast, which, again, will be coming out this week. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through Facebook uh, for Milwaukee's Tailgate at Baseball Podcast. Uh, Paul, one more time, you want to talk about uh, the new podcast? Sure. Um if you missed the beginning, somehow, even though it's a podcast and not a radio show, um, we are starting a new uh, Green Bay Packer football pad- podcast. It is called Reporting is Eligible. It will star myself, J.R. Radcliffe, and Matt Matanovich. And it will, if all goes according to plan, post on Wednesday this week and after every game going forward. Um, it should be uh, a fun listen if you would like to um, hear every every game, every transaction recapped. Um by people who really know their football at the same kind of level that your your baseball hosts here understand their baseball, it it will be perfect for you. So, 
I will say my favorite thing and and in my endorsement for the podcast, which I'm not other than the fact that I'm not on it, which should be a really good selling point. The first <laughs> um, is the fact that when I go back home to Wisconsin, uh, everybody wants to talk about Packers, and I just like haven't wa- I don't watch the Packers all that much anymore. Basically, when people ask my opinion, I just say what you know what I see uh, Paul say, and then I usually sound pretty intelligent, which is is solid. Like. Paul is the vast majority of my opinions on the Packers because I am forced to have some being from Wisconsin, but I don't actually have good opinions. And so I rely on Paul to make me sound See, smart. If, which if you is- need Packer cocktail party or old fashioned party talk, then if you listen to that, you can sound smart to your friends and well-wishers. Yeah. But then is when they go like, what do you mean that running isn't really good on first and 10 or whatever? I'm just like, don't ask. Don't ask me to follow up. You can I also maybe get in much. fights with your friends and well-wishers, but we'll deal with that later on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. Uh, these are also things you should be doing for the new Packers podcast as well. So keep an eye out for it on all your podcast platforms and all of that and rate and review once the episodes start coming in. Or, you know, if you can rate and review ahead of time, like, that that's fine too before you've even listened just go ahead and throw a five star on there and say something nice you can't do that yet it does not exist yet but soon you'll be able to um and just a a quick preview we will um do a general packer preview we'll also go through all of the other teams in the nfc north and all the changes they've made and the positives and negatives tell you if mitch Trubisky is actually good or not um is he actually good or not probably not but it's a little hard to tell but probably not okay um Usually, guys of his age um, don't don't drastically improve um, over their first two years after. So he's probably bad. He, I mean, he's also a bear. Their quarterbacks are always bad. So, but um, there's he, he, still some chance he could be okay. But anyway, we'll we'll go through the Vikings. We'll go through the Lions. Um, anybody else who's interesting, we'll talk about who the most progressive teams and least progressive teams are in terms of managing their front office. Just so you know, the Eagles are the most progressive team at managing their players. Um, the, hmm. pa- the Patriots kind of are, although they're mostly just a cult of Belichick. Um, <laughs> well, we could talk about that sometime, too. So. All right. Thank you for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Tailgate.